1: We are back at it. Welcome back to another edition of the Pistols Firing Podcast. I am Carson Cunningham, joined as always
0: by Colby Powell. Colby, is that bathroom completely done? Uh, we are pretty much done, Carson. We're just waiting on the mirror to come in, and we're going to hang the mirror, and then we are done. I was telling you just before we came on the air, it's like, I don't know if other people feel this way, but I'm ready for the baby to be here so that I can stop doing so many things at the house. Like, I know I'm going to be busy with the baby. But we didn't even, there wasn't even a five minute break between remodeling the bathroom and moving on to the nursery. They're connected by a door there. We just walked straight from the bathroom into the nursery and started on that room. So, and then we worked on it all day yesterday. It's just, it is one thing after another, especially because we're hosting the baby shower at our house in a few weeks. So of course my wife wants everything to be perfect. Like it's a brand new, perfectly freshly built house when people come over for the shower. So it is just every single day, but tomorrow I'm going to Florida four days off from the, uh, housework. Yeah. Tell everyone
1: what you're going to be doing in uh, Florida and how to, how to check out you guys at the 73rd hole podcast.
0: Yeah. Heading down to Florida to the PGA merchandise show, big show every year, all the big top brands release all their new stuff before it comes out to the public. That's going to be a lot of fun. And tomorrow evening, uh, we're going to an event with major Ed and John Daly who have a foundation together, and we're going to get to sit down and talk with John Daly. So just search for the 73rd hole, wherever you get your podcasts and like, rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. We're looking forward to it. It's going to be a fun trip.
1: That's awesome. I, I, I can't imagine where the, the conversation will go with John Daly, but I, I do have an idea. I just uh, I hope for your sake he's not playing the slot machines too late at night and uh, it doesn't, doesn't arrive on time for you guys.
0: I'm just hoping that we have time. So I'm the best man in a wedding in May. We're doing the bachelor party sometime mid-late April, and I want to ask John Daly for bachelor party recommendations because who better on the topic than John Daly? I thought you were going to say like you were going to invite him on the bachelor party. Uh, man, I don't know if we've got enough money to play in that golf game, but yeah, he's invited. He can play. He just has to play at our stakes. That's the rule. That's true. Do you know where you're, where is your bachelor party? Uh, don't know yet. He's, he's getting married on May the 6th and I'm kind of supposed to put it together, but we're still, still kind of piecing it all together. We're going to play some golf regardless though. That's, that's the one thing that's definitely happening. Yeah. You'd be the best.
1: You'd be the best best man ever if you convinced uh john daly to show up that would be big time but
0: uh so busy I, that week not hanging out with uh, people he doesn't know
1: true so colby's on his way to florida after this show so we're gonna have kyle porter on on thursday i mean to have the uh the originator of pistols firing on for a long time he's been so busy with golf and other things we haven't had him on so colby's gonna get to Live the good life with John Daly, and we'll have Kyle on later in the week. And well, before we get to this week's show, let's hear from Chris's University Spirit, your one-stop cowboy shop. Be sure to shop at chrisuniversityspirit.com. Colby, the we've got a logo, two shirts are selling like hotcakes. We get people tweeting at us all the time that they got theirs, and uh, hard to keep them on the shelves right now at Chris's.
0: Yeah, I feel like once a day we get somebody tweeting us a picture of their we've got a logo, two shirt from Chris's. It's it is the hottest commodity, I think, since I'm a man, I'm 40. I mean, when has there been another Mike Gundy one-liner that has drummed up the level of interest that we've got a logo 2 has drummed up? It's just, it, it's putting the OSU brand on a pedestal, and uh, that's kind of where the brand deserves to be after all the success they've had.
1: No, I hadn't thought of it in that context, but I think, I think you're right. That's probably the most quotable quote from Mike Gundy to put on a t-shirt since the I'm a man, I'm 40. So you're, you're, you're right about that. So be sure to stop over by Chris's and pick up your shirt today because they are going fast. And um, before we get into all the football news, and there's a lot to get to with that, let's hit on the Oklahoma State basketball game. OSU loses to Texas 56-51 on Saturday in Austin. And um, Colby, once again, felt like I was watching like a mid-90s to late 90s. Eddie Sutton Kelvin game in the worst ways, meaning it's a 56, 51 point game. They struggled to get to 50. And man, Colby, the offense has been bad all year and it, it might have hit new lows against Texas.
0: Yeah. And, you know, they were talking about on the broadcast about how great defensively these teams are in the Big 12. And I don't want to act like this is just Texas Tech OU, Mahomes, Mayfield, no defense. There is really good defense being played. There's also some really bad offense being played. And, and the game is being slowed down. I mean, Texas is one of the slowest teams in the country. That's how they want to play. And they've got scores. They've got some shooters. They've got some scores. And they just want To slow you down. Uh, The free throws again, 7 of 12 for Oklahoma State. Texas goes 14 of 16 from the line. I mean, that's a 30 percentage point difference. 30 percentage points, 58% compared to almost 88% for Texas from the free throw line. So that continues to be an issue that plagues Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State actually fought back a little bit in the rebounding category, only lost the rebounds by 6, 38 to 32. But as I'm watching that game down the stretch, it just felt Like Oklahoma State was just a day late and a dollar short. I mean, you lead at halftime, game is really close. But then once Texas started to stretch it out and got that lead up to, you know, seven, eight, nine points in that second half, it kind of looked like Oklahoma State. I think Fran and whoever was on the call with him even said nine points feels like an insurmountable deficit for Oklahoma State. And that's with like five minutes left. It just shows you where the scoring is at. But Carson, the start of this game was so weird. Texas is up 13 to nothing. Uh, Me and my wife are in the car. We're going down to, to look at some furniture. We get out of the car. Texas is up 13, nothing. We get back in the car. Oklahoma State's up 14 to 13. So I had to go back and watch what happened. It was a weird, weird series where Oklahoma State couldn't score and then Texas couldn't score. Obviously, you don't have Bryce Williams, your leading scorer. That's tough. Bryce Thompson did everything that he could. Some of those shots he hit down the stretch were just tough, tough looks, but He leads you in scoring with 20, and your next leading scorer, Carson, six. Caleb Boone and Tyreek Smith, Smith each with six. That's just not enough to go on the road and beat a top 25 team in the country. Now, a
1: true OSU fan, Colby, would have stayed in the car. Did you listen (laughs) to the rest of the game in the car?
0: I did not listen to the rest of the game in the car. Carson, we had too much to do. We had to come in. I've got the portable TV in the house. So we've got one TV that just travels with us wherever we're doing work. So as we were working on the bathroom, I put the TV over in the tub with an extension cord and turned it on. And then as we moved on to the nursery, I tucked it in the closet with the closet doors open with an extension cord. So I I was still doing my best to watch the game, but uh, too much to do to stay in the car. Did you used to do that though? Like I certainly did. I remember watching
1: games in my my parents' house and like, when, when game – and I was living and dying with OSU Hoops as a youngster because OSU wasn't very good at football, as we all know. And when things would start going poorly in a big game, like I would go into another room and just like listen or just go into another room and watch in a different room. And if that helped OSU go on a run, I would just stay there until
0: it went south again. and switch. Did you ever do that watching games or you still do that at all? So wouldn't go to another room or go to the car, but what we always did in my house, my parents had like this FM radio essentially in the living room. And they would mute the TV and turn the radio on. And usually it was pretty close. Sometimes there was a little bit of a gap, but we would watch it. And then we would listen to Dave on the call because it was just too good. We had to get our, uh, our hometown crew. So that's what I was used to growing up. Now, of course, it's 2022 and I don't have an FM radio in my living room. So when it's on the TV, it's on the TV. But I certainly don't mind being in the car during an Oklahoma State sporting event because I love listening to Dave and John and, and the whole crew that they've got, football and basketball that helps them put out a great product yeah I mean
1: Dave obviously we all know how great he is his talent really even shines even through even more with basketball just because of how frenetic the pace is and how much words you have to use to describe basketball and then let John Holcomb chime in uh, after each play is is a really hard thing to navigate so yeah that's a good that's a good way to do it listen to Dave but back to your point about the defense Barry Trammell had some interesting stats just you're right. Like the defenses are excellent and this kind of backs it up in 14 of 66 big 12 games so far, the winner has failed to reach 70 points in 14 of those 66, 20 times in those games, a team has failed to reach 60. So like there is really good defense and you're right about that Colby, but you're also very, very correct that the offenses are are really bad. There's, there's some really bad offense in the big 12 and Oklahoma State is certainly one of those. And it's scary to think, Colby, if if Bryce Thompson hadn't really gotten it going the last couple of games, just what their point totals would have been. He scores a career high against Texas, and they only end up scoring 51 as a team. But Bryce Thompson, I feel like, is really kind of finding his groove, at least offensively, and really carrying the load right now.
0: Yeah, he is. And we talked about this last week. Oklahoma State needs him to be that McDonald's All-American guy on that end of the floor. Because, again, Carson, uh, I mean, it's milk carton time. Avery Anderson's going to have to find it, and he's going to have to find it sometime soon. This is a guy, Carson, last year, we're watching Cade goes out for a couple of games, and Avery Anderson is just a monster on the offensive end of the glass. He's unstoppable, even without Cade out there. And we had conversations, Carson, about whether he was going to come back or go to the draft. He comes back, and then we're talking about whether he can lead the conference in scoring. And again, on Saturday, it's three points on one of five from the floor. So uh, uh, this week's milk carton goes to Avery Anderson. We're looking for you. We hope you show up like Rondell Walker did uh, after we called for him to come out and, and, and do it big. But. In the meantime, it's got to be the Bryce Thompson show, and that's what it was down the stretch in Austin, and he did everything he could, Carson. I mean, he was grinding, and and he looked like that five-star guy. I know the the efficiency wasn't that high, 8 of 18 from the floor. Still not bad in terms of efficiency, uh, just a little under 50%, 2 of 5 from beyond the arc, 2 of 3 from the line. but. You know, he can just only do so much whenever it takes the next, let's see. You would have to add up the next four leading scorers for Oklahoma State to get more points than Bryce Thompson. That's just, that's really tough, Carson. So
1: this week's Milk Carton Player of the Week is essentially Avery Anderson's. We need to get this this segment sponsored. I wonder if Brahms is listening. If if you (laughs) want to sponsor the Milk Carton of the Week, uh, tweet us, Colby Powell and, and myself. You can find us on Twitter sent us a tweet. But now, Colby, you're right. I mean, I thought Avery Anderson should have been a preseason first-team All-Big 12 guy with what he did at the end of the last year coming into this is going to be his team. And I think, it's, I think it's very easy to say he's been the biggest disappointment in a disappointing season thus far. Now, OSU did get a couple of wins to where they've kind of righted the ship a little bit because it was, it was heading for a disastrous season but so the, the the couple of wins certainly helped but it's been disappointing to this point and, and Avery Anderson certainly is a big reason for that. I don't know what the issue is. Uh it seems like he's lost some confidence but he has to get going. It can't just be Bryce Thompson the Bryce Thompson show and just hoping you score, you know, 55 points to win a game. Avery Anderson has to help shoulder the load offensively. And speaking of our milk carton of the week, Caleb Boone, you put him on the milk carton last week, Colby, and he actually played 11 minutes. A lot of that was due to Musa Sise getting in foul trouble, but he at least played, you know, double-digit minutes. And Rondo Walker didn't play great offensively, but no one really did other than Bryce Thompson. But he was just his old self. He was a complete menace on defense. Six rebounds, two blocks, and a steal. Um, I'm sorry, that was was Caleb Boone's numbers. Um, But Rondo Walker, I thought, really, really played exceptionally
0: in this game. Yeah, I think so too. And and that's really what you need from him, right? It doesn't have to be this big explosion. It doesn't have to be 15 and 10. Just go out there and do some of the, the grunt work. I mean, somebody's got to do the grunt work. Somebody's got to get the rebounds and, and block shots and, and be a, just a rim protector, a guy that influences shots, and he can be that guy. So uh, hopefully we'll see more of that. Again, it's... Six steals
1: for Rondell. Six steals, five rebounds,
0: three assists. So he did a lot without scoring. Right. Six steals for Rondell. I mean, he was impacting Texas in a big way on that end of the floor, And, and that end of the floor isn't the problem, Carson. It hasn't been the problem. I mean, you hold Texas to 56 points at home? Man, you really you really like to think you could get to 57. And I know your leading scorer was out, but you still got Bryce Thompson and Avery Anderson, Keelan Boone again, he's gone into a slump. He was a monster in that Texas game a few weeks ago in 23 minutes on on Saturday against Texas. Uh, Another goose egg, no points. 0 for 2 from 3, 0 for 3 from the field. Isaac Likely, again, struggling on the offensive end, doing a lot of other things very well. Seven rebounds. Uh, running the offense, kind of being that guy. But, I mean, four turnovers to five points for Isaac Likely, that's not great. Two of eight from the field. It's just, it's not the defense. On that end of the floor, they are tough. They are hard-nosed. They are tough to get around. They're tough to score on. Um, They they try to do it as well as you can in the Big 12 Conference without fouling, but that's tough to do. Um, It's just the other end, and I don't know what the answer is. I don't think that there's an easy flip that you can just switch some guys who clearly are good offensive players are just lacking confidence. Uh, Avery Anderson, Keelan Boone, it's just, it's really hurting the team that these guys aren't scoring the way they're capable of.
1: Yeah, and I think it's fair to question the job Mike Boynton's doing with this team offensively. I mean, it's been that bad. And and look, I, I don't think they have a ton of shooting, which again, that's, to me, that's on the head coach as well. But I think Ultimately, and and again, I would be critical of of past coaches when they would underperform the way they have, especially on one side of the court like offense this year. So if I'm going to be critical of Travis Ford and Brad Underwood when they went through a losing streak, I have to be critical of Mike Boynton. He has to figure out this team, figure out ways for them to get easier buckets because he's done a good job at limiting their three-point attempts, which is a good thing. They were just two of nine only took nine threes, which I think is about where they honestly probably should be. They shot 22% on those nine threes, but they have to he has to figure out the offense out or this season's just kaput. And I, I think it's fair to be critical of Mike Boynton to this point. Do you?
0: Uh, somewhat in this season, I do. There's so much swirling around this program. Yes, the, the offense has to be better. That is the knock against Mike Boynton right now. And, and you have to hold the head coach um, accountable for that at some point. It's just so tough for me to find that balance in basketball more so than in football, because I think in football, we all consume it at such a level. And, and we we, we kind of know so much more about what's happening because, I mean, you can tell a clear difference between run and pass, short pass, deep pass, middle of the field, edge of the field, you know, zone runs inside or outside runs. It's it's just seems to me easier to break down on the offensive end of a basketball court. It's just a whole lot of, you know, this guy's dribbling. We set a screen. This guy comes out to the wing. And unless you're just, unless you've played the game at a high level, or you're just a super basketball nerd. I don't claim to know about the X's and O's enough on that end of the floor to know what is failing or succeeding from an X's and O's standpoint. Here's what I know, Carson. Last year, last season, Mike Boynton didn't have a problem coaching offense. Last season, Mike Boynton had a guy who was averaging 20-ish plus points a game, I think, off the top of my head. He had a couple of big ones in there. You know, you didn't have a problem with offense last year. When that guy goes out and Avery Anderson scores 26, you don't have a problem coaching offense. All of a sudden, this year, you don't have Cade Cunningham. Avery Anderson has done a disappearing act. Rondell Walker's averages are cut in half. And now, all of a sudden, Mike Boynton doesn't know offense. It's really – I can't decide if it's the chicken or the egg, Carson. That's the problem for me. I just – I can't decide. Is it the chicken or the egg? Does Mike Boynton not know how to coach offense, and therefore his guys are playing poorly on that end of the floor? Or are his guys playing poorly on that end of the floor, and therefore Mike Boynton doesn't know offense? I, I don't know the answer to that question.
1: Well, I would say even when they had Kate Cunningham averaging what he averaged, we all remember those first halves when he was completely MIA and, and wasn't even taking shots. That's fair. So I think there's been – long spells even with a Cade Cunningham where the offense is just is just stuck in a quagmire and I I think that's a reflection of of Mike Boynton I think he has to do better than that with his team offensively and again he these are the players he recruited there's no more you know piecing it together like he had to the first few years this is the team he's handpicked and they're they're just they're really really bad offensively so they they got to get that figured out and of course no rest for the weary. They get Iowa State, top 25 team on Wednesday. Then they go to Gainesville, Florida to face the Gators. So not getting any easier. So it's going to be a, a tough road to hoe for, for Oklahoma State. And they always play interesting games against Iowa State, whether it's in, you know, in Hilton Coliseum or Gallagher, Iowa. It always seems to be interesting. So that'll be an interesting game as well. Uh, we got some football news to get to, Colby. A bit bit of breaking news earlier today. Shane Illingworth has officially entered the transfer portal. That's according to Max Olson from The Athletic. Colby, not at all surprising to me. I, I, in fact, would have been more surprised if Illingworth was sticking around another year with Spencer Sanders coming back.
0: Yeah, I would have, too. It wouldn't have made any sense whatsoever. You know, you've got him. You've got the other kid, uh, the big recruit whose name escapes me. Rangel? Yeah, Garrett Rangel. I knew it was Garrett. I couldn't come up with Rangel. I knew it was a weird last name, and I didn't want to swing and miss. Garrett Rangel coming in. I think Shane Ellingworth kind of saw the writing on the wall. I like think when he came in, he thought maybe he could beat Spencer out for that job. It's pretty clear that he hasn't beaten Spencer out for that job. He he was um, good, adequate, a good, really solid backup quarterback in his time. But I don't think that there were a ton of people beating the drum for Shane Ellingworth to become the starter. Maybe at, at points. Last season, whenever it was rough with Spencer and things weren't going well in Casey Dunn's first year, but certainly this year, Spencer was first team all big 12. He has the bad game against Baylor and then he comes back with the game of his career against Notre Dame. Uh, good on Shane Ellingworth. You know, you hate to lose a really competent backup quarterback because those guys are valuable, especially when you your starter as a runner, but that, that's the reality. He wants to go somewhere where he can play and I don't blame him. Go somewhere where you can play, be the starter, take every snap, light it up. I mean, it's 6'6", 230 that guy will get an invite to a camp if he can light it up uh, at, at a smaller school or even if he de- decides to transfer to this level. I mean, you know, even, you know, Taylor Cornelius has stuck around the CFL for a while. We saw Dane Evans at Tulsa has been in the CFL for a long time, still is. Uh, so there are opportunities out there for Shane Illingworth. Those opportunities were no longer in Stillwater. So uh, no no blame on him whatsoever. All love for him. Hope he has all the success in the world wherever he winds up.
1: Yeah, I do too. I mean, he was a highly touted recruit. He has the pedigree. He was a legit, legit four-star recruit out of California. I would think he has a lot of options as to where to go. Uh, just to me, it always kind of felt like a square peg and a round hole with the offense. If you, if you have Spencer Sanders in tow, they they tail they clearly tailored the offense around him, and we saw that when Ellingworth would get his chances, they they couldn't do a whole lot. They had to resort to just throwing fades to Tylen Wallace, which is really never a bad play. But they kind of just, one, they didn't trust him to, to throw it over the middle. So Mike Gundy famously said, we're just going to run the ball and throw it sideways. And I just didn't feel like he was a natural fit for the offense that they had built around Spencer. And I think he's realized that. And of course, with Spencer coming back, they can't tailor the offense around Shane Illingworth. So hopefully he gets a shot somewhere else, but it appears the, the Shane Illingworth Uh, era is over in Stillwater, and I'll be interested to see where he ends up. I think he's a talented kid. I think he's got a lot of arm strength. He's got a big arm, big kid at 6'6", but um, not at all surprising to me. What is surprising is Mike Gundy has not hired a defensive coordinator. He has not hired Auburn, former Auburn defensive coordinator Derek Mason yet, but Derek Mason reportedly has uh, resigned as the defensive coordinator at Auburn. Or he's—is that what the report was? I'm reading Auburn defensive run yep. game coordinators promoted, so he he did resign at at Auburn. So he he doesn't have a job right now. He resigned, so that to me, Colby appears as if he's going to Stillwater, but nothing announced yet. Yeah, I would
0: be surprised at this point if he doesn't wind up in Stillwater. Somebody had a picture from over the weekend, which looked like Derek Mason in Stillwater with Mike Gundy. Nothing's been announced, but he's resigned from Auburn. Apparently, things just were not going well there between he. And the head coach, that whole experiment down there at Auburn is not going well. But, I mean, we've talked about how big of a get this would be for Oklahoma State. And Carson, I feel like we're on the one-yard line and you just got to punch it in. I, I'm just waiting for the other shoe to drop and for we, for us to get all the reports. Derek Mason, defensive coordinator, Oklahoma State. I, I'm just waiting for it to be finalized. And we we just keep waiting. So, I guess all we can do is be patient. But the writing is on the wall. I would be pretty shocked at this point if it was not Derek Mason.
1: Yeah, I would be too. And an interesting kind of parallel, because to me, this seemed like an out-of-the-box hire, as I mentioned on the last show. But Barry Trammell makes an interesting point that this would be the third straight defensive coordinator that has head coaching experience. Uh, Jim Knowles was a head coach at Cornell. Glenn Spencer at, I believe, somewhere in Georgia. I can't remember the name of the school, but a smaller school in Georgia. And Mason obviously has head coaching experience at, at Vanderbilt. So, uh, sorry, Spencer was at Division II West Georgia as the head coach. Went 28 and seven at, at record there as a head coach. So, Mason's head coaching record is not good because he coached at Vanderbilt, but it's actually pretty good. He's the third. He has the third best winning percentage in Vanderbilt history, which should tell you all you need to know about Vanderbilt's football history. But the fact that he was with Shaw at Stanford for so long and Another interesting parallel that I, I neglected to mention on the last show, kudos to Adam Lunt for remembering this. I had totally forgotten this. You know, Mike Gundy famously was on the, the college football broadcast for the national championship game in the coach's film room. And we all know David Cutcliffe, the Duke head coach, was in there. They clearly established a relationship, and boom, he hires Jim Knowles as the defensive coordinator. Derek Mason was in that room too on that very same broadcast as the head coach of Vanderbilt. So Mike Gundy... He really, and this is not hyperbole, the the trajectory or the path for this coaching staff was significantly altered by Mike Gundy going on ESPN in that coach's film room. If they hire Mason, which it appears to be, you could argue that two of those connections for his last two defensive coordinators hires were
0: made in that very room. Yeah, which is, you know, it's odd to think about the way guys meet, but the more and more you think about it, football and hiring and stuff, forever it's been... A boys' club. It's it's who you know. It, it's been just the same guys get recycled. We see this, I think, more in the NFL than we do in college. You know, you know somebody who's in a position to make a hire. You have a relationship with that person. That person likes you. That person looks a little bit closer at your successes, not quite as close at your failures. These things matter. Relationships matter. We know that. Uh, I mean, you and I know that. Working in in the media industry in this state. You have to know people. You have to have a foot in the door. You have to have somebody who will vouch for you and who will get you in front of the person you need to be in front of. And Derek Mason becoming the, the DC at Oklahoma State. I mean, if they don't meet in that film room, is he big time on Mike Gundy's radar? Maybe he is, but I like to think that they kept in touch and that uh, that, that played a part in it. So relationships matter and good on them for uh, hopefully bringing this to fruition. And I think that's a big role in this because as
1: as we mentioned on the last show I mean he's making 1.5 million dollars at Auburn um he clearly has evaluated the situation there with head coach Brian Harson, and that connection maybe they've kept in touch him and Mike Gundy maybe he sits there and thinks man it'd be it'd be great to work for him it'd be great to work for Mike Gundy and clearly they made a positive impression on each other because that appears where this is heading so I'm, a, I'm very interested in that if he is the guy. Uh, again, nothing's official. There are some other candidates being bandied about, but all signs, are, as of right now, point to, to Derek Mason being the next defensive coordinator. And it's been widely reported, I guess, from several recruits that um, the new coordinator is basically just going to run Jim Knowles' offense. They're not going to revamp their own system, which Mike Gundy's had massive success with this in the past when he hired Dana Holgerson for one year. When they brought in Todd Munkin, they were running the Dana Holgerson offense. They kept a lot of the principles, a lot of the terminology, and all those things. So that, to me, Colby, that's a great sign for the defense moving forward that it's not going to be some drastic change.
0: Yeah, I think so, too. You don't want it to be, and yes, guys are transferring out, but uh, I think it was Barstool, Oklahoma State, uh, who tweeted something out like, wow, the entire defense is gone. Could not be more wrong. This defense is still going to have so much talent on it next year. You want a similar system. You want these guys to be able to be aggressive, play free-flowing football on that side of the ball, force turnovers, all that good stuff that they were doing under Knowles. So I I very much look forward to and hope that it's a similar system on that side of the ball. Also, Carson, I just wanted to update something we were talking about earlier. As we're recording this pod 15 minutes ago, Eli Letterman, who covers uh, the Oklahoma State basketball team for the Tulsa World, says Mike Boynton, about 15 minutes ago, does not anticipate having Bryce Williams Wednesday against Iowa State. Uh, he did not practice today, so just kind of an update there.
1: Yeah, that's that was a key a key happening in the, the Texas game, not having him. You know, he hurt his ankle against TCU, was not available. That's one of the few guys that can get buckets on the team. So that's a, that's a big loss moving forward as they continue through the Big 12 schedule. So that is some breaking news on the podcast. Um, so Derek Mason, it appears, will be the defense coordinator. We'll have to wait and see on that. Colby, we've been meaning to talk about the top 10 plays of the OSU season for a couple of weeks now. So yeah. let's, let's get into it. Uh, Marshall Scott wrote a, a great article on pistols firing of the top 10 plays of Oklahoma State's 2021 season. And we can kind of run through them pretty quick. Uh, number 10, this is just wild. Kale Cabinus not only being on the field, but making the catch to essentially win the game against Boise State. Colby, if he doesn't make that catch what happens the rest of the season? That is a great sliding doors moment of the entire season, but shout out to Kale cabinets with the 10th best play.
0: Yeah. Shout out to him for making the list. Only catch of the season and Carson it had been so long since I seen it. I, I since I saw it, I watched it back. It was so good. I mean, just lobbing it up there and just make a play one-on-one, make a play, go win the game. And that play won the game. Boise State only needed a field goal. Now, granted, it was not a gimme that they were going to get a field goal. Looking here, they would have had a minute and 40 seconds. I don't think they had any timeouts. They just had a field goal blocked. So, I, I, you know, who knows if they get there anyway against Oklahoma State's defense, which that night was pretty good as it was most of the season. But I'm glad we didn't have to see it. Kel Cabanis, early season hero.
1: Well done. Yeah, that that was insane. Uh, number nines from the same game, Jason Taylor blocking the field goal against Boise State. Again, one of the craziest games in a in a game in a season full of close, crazy games. Uh, Jason Taylor, we've known has a nose for the football and that that play right there. I mean, again, just if they don't win that game, who knows where the season ends up? But Jason Taylor makes it at the num- at the number nine play of the season.
0: Yep. Another big one. And Jason Taylor knows for the ball. He's always in the right place at the right time. So uh, look forward to seeing more of that next year. And the guy that, you know, we talked all season before and during that needed the
1: football more is our number eight play. And that's Brennan Presley with the Randy Moss. You got Mossed award Uh, for a five foot eight receiver to make this level of a, of a Randy Moss type play. Just speaks to why we want this guy. I I knew he was a great receiver, Colby, but I I don't necessarily knew that I was capable. He was capable
0: of this. No, this was next level. This was number one. You got Moss the entire year because Brendan Presley. Not that big of a guy. Brennan Presley made himself very big in that end zone. And, you know, Tay Martin on the way out. I look forward to see what this receiving core looks like next year. Brennan Presley, Jaden Bray, John Paul Richardson. I, I'm sure I'm forgetting a couple as well, but they're going to be fun to watch, and Brennan's going to be a big part of it.
1: Yep, yeah, and the number, part of number eight, too, was Tay Martin, that corner end zone touchdown, uh, which was, I think, probably the best throw of Spencer Sanders' career. Uh, was just sensational. So that was also part of number eight. The receivers really had a great game in that. And, and Presley, as we all know, probably got a first down and they did not get it up there in Ames. But uh, that's neither here nor there. Uh, number seven, the Fiesta Bowl, Colby, Colby Harvell-Peel, which I, I neglected to mention this on our, our recap. Just what a way for him. And then it's kind of a joint play with the Malcolm Rodriguez interception, which we talked about. But Colby Harvell-Peel just capping off just an all-time career at Oklahoma State. One of the better safeties to ever play at the school. The way he was able to rip that ball away for the, the fumble recovery was just, you basically just stole it from the guy himself. Wasn't really a fumble. He just ripped it away from him. Was just a, really an exclamation point, Colby, to a, just a tremendous
0: career. Yeah, I mean, that guy was holding onto that ball, and Colby Harvell Peel just, I mean, he just took it. I mean, that is just a grown man going in there. We talked all year about Oklahoma State. has so many veterans. I mean, that is just a grown man saying, you know what? We are both holding on to this football, and only one of us is coming away with it, and it's going to be me. That was good stuff. Malcolm Rodriguez with the pick. Just that whole game, we'll be, we'll be talking about that game for a long, long time. Yep, it was
1: awesome. And uh, the first play from Bedlam to make the list, number six, would be Spencer Sanders kick kickstarting the Bedlam comeback, The kind of the, the sprint option run that he had, a 37-yard touchdown run, capped off a seven-play, 58-yard scoring drive. Pulled Oklahoma State within two points. They would later get the one-yard touchdown from Jalen Warren. And look, Spencer made some mistakes in Bedlam. He had some turnovers. But this is who he is. He is simply electric running the football. And that, to me, was the best run of his career. I already mentioned what I thought was the best throw. That was the best run of his career for me.
0: Yeah, absolutely it was. There was nothing there. Carson, there was nothing there at a point in time where it looked like hope had kind of been lost for Oklahoma State. You'd had the interception down on the other end late in the third. get the ball back after the Caleb Williams fumble. Uh, I think it was Thomas Harper who came in and forced that fumble. I can't remember off the top of my head. I think it was Thomas Harper. And on this play, I mean, there's nothing there, Carson. And he just zip, 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 boom, gone. It was the best run of his career in one of the biggest moments of his career.
1: Of nothing being there. Number five, Jalen Warren makes all of Tulsa miss. Who can forget his touchdown run in a, a, a tight game against Tulsa where he he gets he takes the handoff to the right and makes about five or six Tulsa defenders just grasping at air. And Colby, this was the moment where we all kind of raised our eyebrows and we're like, whoa, maybe that guy needs some more carries because that was a sign of things to come.
0: Yeah, and you talk about butterfly effect throughout the season, you know, how one play has an impact. This was a game that Oklahoma State very much could have lost. Oklahoma State could have lost this game, and this was also the moment when Jalen Warren was like, hey, hey, look at me over here. I'm that guy. I am that guy. I need the ball more. This was a, a big moment in the season for Oklahoma State and just a special play. It's just uh, the way he can run as hard as he can and cut like that, It's he was just a special talent, and I look forward to watching him on Sundays.
1: Yeah, and there was symmetry here on the list because right after that game against Tulsa was the Boise State game, and number four is where Warren took it to the house. I was watching it over at your house when Jalen Warren went 75 yards untouched on the first play of its second series, and a star was born, Colby. Uh, Their offense had really struggled running the football going into this game, and RB1 was was here to stay with Jalen Warren.
0: Yeah, and after such a great season, it's easy to forget just what a struggle it was the first month or so. I'm going to say it was down 10 to nothing in that game against Boise State, and a bunch of guys were out injured. It, it just it wasn't looking good. It looked like this was going to be a – I mean, we were talking, Carson, realistically about a 6-6 six and six season. You lose to Boise State. You got a tough conference schedule. And they're able to come back and win this game, and then everything flips to where they end up beating Notre Dame in the Fiesta Bowl. And if you had told me that – after this Boise state game, I would have thought you were crazy. It's just the series of events that had to take place for the season to, to play out in the way it did. It was unbelievable.
1: Yeah. Warren had 218 yards against Boise and just another butterfly effect thing is if Warren doesn't get hurt later part of the year, you know, the Baylor game, he obviously was missed. Um, that was, uh, a real what if, if they had had RB1 fully healthy in, in that game, who, who knows what would have happened Big 12 title game. But number three, to me, you could have argued this is number one. Uh, I'm not sure I want to make that argument, but number three is the uh, pick six from Jason Taylor uh, when Oklahoma State is just down big. They're down 17-3 to three to Texas. Texas in the red zone. He jumps on a route, 85-yard pick six, and really, I think Colby swung the entire season on one play.
0: Yeah, I think so too. Oklahoma State, I don't think wins this game without this pick six. You know, you get to stop there, maybe you home to a field goal, you get it out 20 to three, but your offense is sputtering so bad at that point that you just. I mean, you don't know what comes next. Oklahoma State needed that defense special team, some kind of pop. It's like we saw with San Francisco Saturday night. They had no chance of winning that game. Boom, pop blocked for a TD. All of a sudden they force a three and out and they win the game. It's those plays when you're down, and it seems like you're out and your offense can't get going. It's those plays that flip it. If it were up to me, Carson, I would move this up the list to two. I would move two to one and I would move one down to three, but that's these are very interchangeable at the top of this list as we get to the next two.
1: Very interesting. Number two, the fourth down stops in Bedlam to win the game. Caleb Williams trying to lead Oklahoma down. Uh, they're trailing 37-34. Um, and man, the, the two, the two fourth down stops, I mean, just again, just an exclamation point for this defense. I mean, one of the images that will be in my brain forever is the, the army crawl from Colin Oliver to, to tackle Caleb Williams from behind that, that to me sums up this defense and it sums up this season for me.
0: Yeah, it was just so good. I mean, Colin Oliver, they get there with three and they get there fast with three. And I still think to me, to me, if I had to pick one play from the season and it is the one play that I think perfectly just encapsulates what this team was about, it's its not that one. It's the previous fourth down on the previous OU possession where Devin Harper goes at Caleb Williams, misses falls down, Caleb Williams is going to pick up that first down and probably 15 more before he's forced to slide. And Oklahoma is going to be in a great position to take the lead and win that football game. And Devin Harper falls down, gets back up, chases Caleb Williams down from behind and he is the only guy out there between Caleb Williams and Open Green Grass and he makes the play short of the first down. It's just mean I mean at that moment, that stadium went ballistic. It was just to me, that's the one play that whenever I think of this season, I'm like, that's what these guys were about.
1: Yep, no doubt. And Oklahoma failed to get in the red zone the entire second half, which again, we saw time and time again all season. This defense really made crucial halftime adjustments and really just shut teams down the second half. And they certainly did that to Oklahoma in the Bedlam win. Number one, Brennan Presley's Cheetah impersonation. The, the kickoff return against Oklahoma in Bedlam. And for me, Colby, I was in the building that night. For me, this is when I went the most crazy. Me, I was sitting with my dad and and Matt a million, friend of the pod. I don't think I've watched a game as a fan since college, but college Carson came out as as Brennan Presley crossed the goal line. That's the play I'm always going to remember just because it It just felt like the game was going like so many bedlams we've seen time and time again. I kept saying, I've seen this movie before. You know, you got, you got Oklahoma making circus fade catches with their tight ends. who they never throw to all season. It's like, of course they're doing this in bedlam. Of course this is happening. The muff punt. Of course this is happening, but Brennan Presley's kick return made it feel different. It's like, okay, Oklahoma state's going to win this game. And for me, that, I probably put it number 1 just cuz that's the one I will remember going absolutely bananas at.
0: Yeah, again, I, I don't I don't mean to downplay that play at all. That play it, you know, I'd have it in my top 3 for the entire season. It was so good, Carson, because how many times has Oklahoma State been the victim of a bedlam kick return? it, it just seems like OU gets things to go their way. The fake field goal. I mean, just stuff in the special teams game that just seems to go OU's way. And then that night, it went Oklahoma State's way. They each had a muff punt, so those offset, and then Brendan Presley taking this one to the house was huge. And, Carson, the cut that he made whenever he went wide and went left across the field, I mean, that's just great individual effort, seeing the whole hitting and outrunning everybody, and to do it all with no flags on the field in the Big 12 Conference. Oh, that's so, so good, Carson. It was unbelievable.
1: Yeah, and I'm watching it here, and they—they, they, I'm so glad they didn't throw a flags. It's not a hold, but – one of the blockers I can't tell what number he is right on the sideline kind of has the shoulder pads of of one of the OU defenders and I just feel like in years past a flag would have got thrown there but they they didn't and it was a clean block and the rest is history and I, I think like the special teams that night on this play and earlier in the game kind of set the tone for the game and again people can talk about oh well OU should have had a flag on the on the deep pass from Caleb Williams and it it probably was interference but Oklahoma State beat them from pillar to post on special teams and their defense didn't let them in the red zone the second half that's two-thirds of the game so I thought the special teams on one of the earliest kickoffs of the game they just punched everyone in the mouth on OU right over on their sideline and I felt like they were the tougher team that night and special teams are a big part of that and so that's That's the top 10 list plays of the season for Oklahoma State, a season we won't forget. Uh, It's time for Bullets and BBs,
0: Colby. What do you got for a a bullet this week? Carson, my bullet is going to the game of football. Just the whole game. This weekend. It was so good, Carson. It was, I mean, it's right up there with best football weekends that we'll ever see in our lives. That game last night, because a lot of – Classic games that you think of, like epic all-timer games, are games that, you know, you see a great comeback in the fourth quarter. Well, first three quarters were kind of snoozers. First two-and-a-half quarters were kind of snoozers. That game last night, start to finish, was just – I don't know how you play football at a better – at a higher level than that, especially on the offensive side of the ball. But I want to keep in mind, those defenses – they were not bad until they got tired. When they got tired and they got gassed at the end, then the defense was bad. And yes, the Bills shouldn't have been rushing four with 13 seconds left. They should have rushed two, dropped nine. Yes, I understand all that. But I mean, that game's seven to seven with three minutes left in the first half. And then the defenses got gassed. It's just three walk-off field goals, the, the walk-off touchdown in overtime with what is clearly the two best teams in the league, with clearly the two best quarterbacks in the league. Football is just so... So good, Carson. It, it's so good that the PGA Tour moved this week's uh, event to to Saturday. CBS has the rights to the PGA Tour and the Farmers Insurance Open this weekend. And, pardon me, and the AFC Championship this weekend. So they moved the Farmers Insurance to a Wednesday to Saturday finish because they can't broadcast both. And the NFL is king. It's just, it was an unbelievable weekend of NFL football, Carson. And football gets the bullet
1: don't mean to be hyperbolic a lot I don't like to declare everything you know the greatest thing I've ever seen but I think you're right that might have been the best NFL playoff weekend in terms of the games that that I can recall I mean just the whole weekend and then you cap it off with the, the Chiefs Bills game which was just psychotic is just it was awesome and that's kind of where I'm going with my my bullet it's kind of a BB but it's my bullet as well it goes to Tyreek Hill who is just he's he is the most electric offensive football player I've seen with my own two eyes, probably since Barry Sanders. And I know that's a lofty statement, but how many guys can score that touchdown he had late and throw up a peace sign from like the 20 yard line. When guys have the angle on him, knowing that he's still going to score, the guy is out of this world. He looks like he's moving at a completely different speed than the best athletes in the world. And, it has to be somewhat of a BB call because I look, I know people are tired of hearing this. I'm tired of thinking about it, but every time Tyree kill scores a touchdown, I just think to myself, he was playing backup, running back, running off tackle at Oklahoma state. This guy's like the best player in the NFL on offense. (laughs) And he was just so underutilized that it, it hurts to watch. It hurts to watch that. They could not figure out a way to utilize him as a receiver at Oklahoma State. It just it it hurts to to watch Colby. I again he had he had 100 carries at Oklahoma State, which is eight yards or eight carries per game. He only had 31 catches at Oklahoma State, 31, and he's the best receiver in the NFL. So it's just he's a marvel to watch, and I just. It's going to trigger me until he retires, and maybe even after that, that he was so underutilized at Oklahoma State.
0: Uh, yeah, I mean that's definitely a tough pill to swallow. I mean you're throwing up the peace sign when when a guy's ahead of you at the 17 yard line. He was at the 17 yard line. I saw the overhead picture today. Miko Hardman already has his arms up, touchdown in the air. Byron Pringles on the other side of the field. He's dancing he was at the 17-yard line. There was a guy ahead of him, but he knew he wasn't going to catch him. It's just his speed, and I tweeted this last night. I think it's easy to forget. The guys that he is outrunning, and I mean outrunning by a good margin, these are some of the best athletes in the world. Like Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde are chasing him. They've got corners chasing him. These are some of the best athletes in, a, in the world. He is so much faster than them. It's not fair. It's, it's like they're not playing the same game. Uh, So, yeah, that touchdown last night was pretty crazy. And then, obviously, you don't move the ball 45 yards in 10 seconds if one of those isn't 25 from Tyreek because he just flies, gets down timeout, boom. So, uh, yeah, he was really impressive. Uh, BB today, Carson, I hate to do it, but I have to give it to everyone who played offense for Oklahoma State on Saturday, not named Bryce Thompson. I mentioned it earlier. You would have to add up the next four leading scorers to get to more points than what Bryce Thompson had. He, he really was asked to do it all on his own at that end. He did everything he could. But you get 20 from one guy. You only get 51 in the game. In a game where you hold a good team to 56, that's just not enough on that end of the floor. So Oklahoma State's offense sands Bryce Thompson has to get my BB today.
1: Yeah, I think that's worthy um i tweeted the the photo of my uh my buffalo bills sheets from from young carson's room back in the day and it reminded me a lot of watching uh buffalo bills super bowls in the 90s to to be up with 13 seconds left and lose the game is just hard to fathom now i wasn't like living and dying i don't have the affiliation i used to have with the bills because thurman thomas doesn't play for him anymore and just haven't really followed them since because they've been so bad. So it's not like I was, you know, just devastated by it, but you got to get a BB giving up the, giving up a lead with 13 seconds left. I don't care if they have Tyreek Hill. That's just, that's hard to fathom. And I feel for the Bills fans because they have a, a really good fan base. You know, Sam Humphreys was up there and he tweeted about how many Bills fans were up there. And I kind of roasted him a little bit, Colby. I said, uh, those aren't Bills fans. They're just Eagles fans supporting their AFC team like, like uh, Sam does. So
0: Sam's a good sport. Sam actually screenshotted that and texted it to me and Taylor in our 73rd hole group chat and said, Carson, just put me in a body bag. It was, and my wife had to ask me what I laughed at because I laughed out loud whenever I read it, whenever I saw it, that was tweet of the weekend. Maybe goes to you on that one, Carson. Well,
1: thank you. And I, and Sam's a good sport. He was a great sport about it. I just, I couldn't resist. I just, I I couldn't resist at all. But uh, part of my other BB, the Bills just—gosh, that's just a horrible way to lose. This was an interesting tweet uh, from Ralph Malbro. Says Green Bay has had thirty years of uninterrupted Hall of Fame quarterback play and got two titles. That might be the greatest underachievement in sports history. That's that's pretty telling and kind of what I was getting at with with Mike McCarthy and his tenure at, at Green Bay, Colby, and just man, the Packers just. Despite having Aaron Rodgers, he's only made one Super Bowl, and granted he won it, but man, that's 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 a huge, huge failure to have Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers and two titles to show for it.
0: Yeah, absolutely, it is, and you know, it's something that there's just this phenomenon with Aaron Rodgers where when things start to go wrong, he doesn't handle that adversity very well in the playoffs, and it it doesn't make a lot of sense because. We all know that for the last 15 years, we're watching one of the most talented quarterbacks that we've ever seen in our life, and yet it's not even that he's only won one. He's only been to one. He's only gotten past the NFC Championship game one time, and this year he loses in the divisional round to a San Francisco team that just isn't nearly as talented as Green Bay was, and it's this weird phenomenon that it's like, you know, the Mercedes Lewis fumble and then the blocked punt. I mean, after the Mercedes Lewis fumble, Aaron Rodgers went three and out, three and out, after the block punt, three and out. He had Alan Lazard wide open. He goes to Devontae Adams. It's just, it's weird. He doesn't respond well to adversity in the playoffs. And it makes no sense, Carson, because in the regular season, he's one of the guys that you want to, I mean, you would pick three, maybe four guys in the NFL. He's one of them that if you're getting the ball back and you have to go score to win, you want him to be the guy. And two years in a row, we've seen him come up short. I, I, I can't make sense of it. Um, so yeah I mean he he's certainly responsible for some of these losses some of them were out of his hands but the the back-to-back three and outs with a chance to really put San Francisco out of their misery it, it was it was tough for Rodgers on Saturday and now after the game he's you know very much non-committal waffling about what his future is is it in Green Bay is it in the NFL nobody knows it's if he does retire, that'd be a weird way for it to end. I don't expect that to happen, but who knows? He he's a, a complete mystery at this point. What was the stat on his lack of game-winning drives? Have you heard that stat? Oh, I yeah, I did, but I don't want to misquote the stat.
1: I think I can't remember what it is, but he doesn't have very many, and so that's that's pretty telling as well. So we we'll have to see what ends up with uh, his career if he stays in Green Bay, if he if he goes somewhere else in free agency, but. It's been a wild NFL
0: playoffs. So who who do you got for the – what's your Super Bowl pick now that we have the Final Four? Chiefs over Rams. It would be a good Super Bowl for me, Carson. I don't know if you remember this, but I am old enough to remember a time when the Chiefs were two wins and four losses this NFL season, and they were being buried, and everyone was talking about what's wrong with Patrick Mahomes. Has the league figured him out? And Vegas was so kind as to drop the Chiefs' Super Bowl odds to 8-1 to – at which point yours truly placed a small wager on the Chiefs at 8-1 to one to win the Super Bowl. Uh, I feel much better about that than I would placing that bet today at plus 130. Pretty good odds on that bet, Carson, and I feel really good about it. I think they're going to beat the Bengals by 15-plus, uh, and then I think the Super Bowl will be a great game between them and the Rams.
1: That was a great bet. And I think what we've seen in this NFL season, the Chiefs just went through it early. But like with the extended season, with with, you know, with 18 games or 17 games, 18 week season, every single team's gone through big lulls just because it's such a grind playing that many weeks. And the Chiefs just went through theirs early in the year and got it out of the way. And um, so, yeah, that was a a very smart bet. I actually picked Rams over Chiefs to start the year before the year started. And so I can't, I can't waiver now. I can't waiver now. It's not the outcome I'd like to see. I'm not a big Rams guy. But um, that's that's what I picked. I did, I did make a small wager on the Bengals at eighteen to one before the playoffs started. Just I didn't think they're going to win the Super Bowl, but if they happen to make it out of the AFC, I was going to going to hedge a little bit and collect some money. So that's still alive for me. But sounds like you don't think they have a chance.
0: Uh, who who's that? The Bengals? I, you know. Sure, they have a chance. They've got Burrow, they've got Chase, they've got all those guys, but I feel like in sports, we see these teams that are arriving a little bit early and they exceed our expectations. And then what happens? You know, they don't go all the way. This Chiefs team has been to four straight AFC Championship games. This will be their third consecutive Super Bowl that they've been to. This Chiefs team is a veteran-laden team. They've been here. They know what it takes to win at this level. And yes, Joe Burrow, Joe Mixon, Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, those guys have all the swag in the world. They just gave up nine sacks to the Tennessee Titans. And short of Tennessee just playing some of the worst offensive football that we've seen in the 21st century, there's no way they win that game. Cincinnati's defense is not that good. They beat the Chiefs a few weeks ago. That's a regular season game. That's a much bigger deal for the Bengals. I, I really expect the Chiefs. They're seven point favorites. I'd feel plenty comfortable laying the points uh, on that line because the the Bengals have been great they've overachieved in year two with burrow and in year one with chase they have massively overachieved and come sunday they are going to be very much humbled by the kansas city chiefs i think you're probably
1: right about that look the Bengals have beaten the raiders and the titans that's not exactly the murderer's row the titans significantly overachieved to get that number one seed i still don't know how they got it without derrick henry but uh, i think you're right i think it's going to be it's going to be a, a chief's win there and playing the Rams in the Super Bowl, although the Niners have beaten the Rams six straight times with Shanahan. So they, they tend to have the Rams number. so we'll That's see. That's
0: a weird phenomenon, too, by the way. Six straight? That makes no sense whatsoever. I think that comes to an end this Sunday, too, but I can't even explain how they've gotten to, to these six. So I guess if the Niners win, good on them. Well, I don't know not- how they beat them. I don't know how they beat the Packers. So. I don't know how they beat the Packers either. It's like the Cowboys beat themselves, 49ers advance. Packers beat themselves, 49ers advance. Um, if if Tanahan's 40- a good coach. Tanahan's a really good coach. If the 49ers win on Sunday, uh, Jimmy G will have made it to more Super Bowls than Aaron Rodgers. And that makes no sense. It defies all logic. And it shouldn't be a stat that exists in this, this time universe that we're living in.
1: I can't wait for a talking head to say, this is why Jimmy Garoppolo is better than Aaron Rodgers. You know, I'm sure that's coming from one of the morning Boy, talk I hope shows. Not.
0: I really hope not because the 49ers are absolutely winning in spite of their quarterback being very average. Yep,
1: yeah, I'm with you. Well, Colby, enjoy Orlando. Give my best to uh, John Daly. Again, you're going to be at the Hooters in Orlando. Is that right?
0: That's the plan. We've got uh, it all set up. We should be good to go. So, uh, hopefully John Daly makes it and we have a good, good fun week. It's Carson. We're leaving Oklahoma to go to Florida for four days. And I'm like, Hey, Florida in January, count me in every day. Is supposed to be like 62 to 64 with a chance of rain. We were going to try to put it off down there. It might get rained out. We'll see, but, uh, hopefully it all goes well.
1: It's like when, uh, on home alone, didn't they go to Florida and it just rained the entire time they were there. It kind of reminds me of that home alone 2, Maybe
0: I don't actually remember where, they went. I, I, they I mean,
1: Florida on home. Alone. Remember two. Kevin
0: back at the house. You remember all the, all the shenanigans uh, back in New York city, but I don't actually remember where they went.
1: Yeah, I think they went to Florida. Yeah, that's right. They went to Florida and they went to Miami in home alone too. And it just nice. rained the entire time. So nice. hopefully that didn't happen to you. Colby, enjoy your week again. I'm going to have Kyle Porter on, on Thursday. We're gonna get his thoughts on the Oklahoma state football season, basketball, and just what all he's been up to lately. So it'll be fun to have Kyle on, but Colby in the meantime, enjoy Florida. Absolutely.
0: Appreciate it. Everybody have a great week. Go, folks.